For now, let's go to uh, the Auburn Bank phone line and bring on Lindsey Crosby to chat with us here on today's show. Lindsey, we appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Hey, JJ. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're thrilled to have you on the show here. want to talk a little bit about uh, everything going on in the world of sports with the Auburn Tigers. Lindsay can be heard every Monday as well on the Locked On Auburn podcast. Let's just start talking baseball with Auburn as they get set to open up a three-game series here tonight against Mississippi State. Uh, your take on the Tigers' season thus far, Lindsay? So I think the big takeaway here so far is exceeding expectations right going into the season and we've heard the players talk about this everybody thought that they were going to be towards the bottom of the sec when it came to pitching when it came to hitting and right now they're one game behind arkansas for tops in the west and it's something where the pitching's come together the offense has been timely the offense has been uh, you know as good as advertised and they've really just exceeded expectations so far and the question is can they continue all the way through the rest of conference play uh, Lindsay, I want to get your your take. When you look at the pitching staff as a whole, it, it's gone through some rocky ro- rocky patches uh, so far this year, mm-hmm. and, and you know it was kind of the opposite last year. The pitching was rather well, but the hitting wasn't there this year. It seems like the hitting is there, the pitching's not there. Uh, really, really positive getting Joseph Gonzalez back. Had a great start last weekend, but I want to get your take on a guy that a lot of people were kind of high on this year. That's kind of struggled a little bit. What's going on with Trace Bright? So I think with Trace Bright, there's a combination of two things. Uh, one, it feels like he's just not necessarily getting the run support that he's used to. If you look at some of the games, like I'm thinking last uh, Friday, it, it's still a close game. He's not getting these early leads. But I think the bigger thing that's very obvious is when you're the game two starter and your best two bullpen guys throw three or four or five innings the night before, you feel a little bit of extra pressure that you have to go deeper into the game and you have to almost be perfect. Those games where he has a lead or those games where he knows there's one of those relievers available, if he gets in trouble, it feels like he does better. I think he's just putting a little too much pressure on himself to be perfect because he doesn't know if there is a guy who can come out of the bullpen and relieve him and shut down a problem that he gets into. Were you a college baseball fan first, Lindsay, or Major League? Or was it about the same, or kind of talk to me about your baseball evolution? So it was a, definitely a Major League baseball fan first. I grew up in the South in the age of the Superstation. So I'm watching the Atlanta Braves as I grow up, like a lot of folks do. My, my favorite player was Dale Murphy. And after I moved to Auburn about 10 or 11 years ago, I started to really – uh, notice and, and see some of the local guys. And I would see guys pop up in major league games that had gone to Auburn. And I'd see guys at the minor league teams that had been at Auburn. And I started to shift and started to pay more attention to college baseball. And I feel like the last few years, I've been more into the college side than I have the professional side because there's just something magical about you know these young men, these amateurs out there playing the game of baseball. I would be the same in, in this in the category of you know growing up and uh, being a Braves fan like we all are here in the South, and uh, then you go to school, you start watching more college baseball, and my seat you're broadcasting more of it, and it's the pitching, Lindsay, that was always so interesting to me because I'm hearing this mindset of what do you mean you've got different midweek starters versus weekend starters, and then your bullpen guys aren't really your traditional major league bullpen 
having guys that they're coming in for an inning role. Sometimes your closer in college baseball, your goal is I need nine outs out of this guy, and that's just something you would never see at the major league level. Talk to me about like your experience learning through the various adjustments that you would have in the college game. I think the, the first biggest adjustment to me was the very first college baseball game I ever went to was a Tuesday. It was later in the season in one of those midweek games, and we saw seven different pitchers come in for Auburn. And I'm like, what's going on? Why are they throwing so many pitchers? It's like, oh, well, listen, they all have to be available for the weekend. This is their bullpen for the week. And, and like there was that, and then there's the whole aspect of understanding Kind of like you said, you're going to call on a bullpen guy on your number one ace, in this case, Blake Burkhalter with his cutter. You're going to call on him the first moment you have trouble, and you're going to say, hey, we need you to come out, and we need you to throw three innings. By the way, you're coming into a game with two on and nobody out in the, you know, in the, the, top, in the top of the seventh. And then we're going to ask you to come back tomorrow and throw another inning tomorrow, and we might need you for game three. And so for me, it's – like the biggest adjustment for me, I think, would probably be knowing who else in the bullpen you could trust in what scenarios. Because in the professional, you know, baseball framework, you have to find roles for everybody, and you have a lot of spring training. Here, you have some inner squads, and then you're into the season, and you have freshmen. You're trying to figure out what do we have in this guy, what can he do in conference play versus non-conference play. It just feels like it takes a lot longer to build that knowledge and trust of your pitching staff in college than it does in the pros. So in the SEC this season, everybody has been chasing Tennessee. They've been absolutely elite to start the year. Had won 23 games until Tuesday night, and I want to get to that in just a moment. But but talking about the league, and your big takeaway is, is the same with me. We can go back to the Ole Miss series for the Auburn Tigers when Ole Miss comes into town as the number one team in the country, and Auburn's not able to win that series. Uh, they dropped two of the three games in the competition. Just this league as a whole, A, why is the SEC so damn good every single season? And and what in particular has been the biggest difference for this Auburn team their last three weekends as opposed to sort of their start of the year? So I think the big difference in the SEC, I mean, the joke that we all make from the commercial is it just means more, right? But for the SEC, it's, it's something where, think about where they are geographically, obviously. You're in the South. You can play sports outside later into the year. You no can kidding. start earlier. So the climate and everything is just suited to doing something like this, uh, where the weather and all of that. And then the thing with this with this team specifically to – like what's different between now and Old Miss and all of that. And I really kind of look back at the insertion of Nate LaRue as catcher into the lineup. So if you go back to that Old Miss series, think about game one. Uh, there were so many errors, and Auburn allowed so many unearned runs in that game, and so many guys got on via pass ball or a throwing error or you know a, some sort of defensive miscue. And since Nate LaRue has been the catcher, the the pitching staff's been more efficient. He calls more fastballs than a lot of other guys. He's completely shut down the running game. You know, being a pitcher who can throw 94 on the side is pretty useful at a catcher. No kidding. So uh, Texas A&M, I think he threw out three of the four base runners, and I think there's only been one or two attempts to steal since then, uh, since that series. And, And really that's been kind of the key to unlocking the potential of the pitching staff and the defense has been – Nate LaRue at catcher, and the, the, the hope is you can get enough from his bat where you can keep him in that spot uh, most SEC series. 
Lindsay, when you look at the the, the way this uh, this Auburn team has progressed through conference play, you know, like you said, the the Ole Miss series, you only got one from there, but it was it was still a big series. You go on the road, Texas A&M, LSU, take two out of three, and then this past weekend, you take two out of three from Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt seems that they're a little bit down from what they have been. But how big of a a a, a I don't, momentum do you take from beating Vanderbilt, no matter how good they are, going through the rest of the season? I think the biggest thing for these guys is is they know now that they had the confidence in themselves, but now everybody else understands, no, this really is a good team. Uh, there was questions about some of the transfers, whether the Sanford transfers, Sonny Deshara, uh, Brooks Carlson, whether they could hit at the SEC level. There's absolutely no question that Sonny can hit at the SEC level. And so for them, it's just being able to see it repeatedly, see that that they can get, you know, Mason Barnett can go out there and strike out a bunch of guys. Hayden Mullins can go out there and can, can strike a, a bunch of guys. Joseph Gonzalez can go nine innings against an SEC team. And really, that to me seems to be the big difference. They're playing carefree. They're, they're not uh, very anxious when they're on the field. They're relaxed. And you can see that in what they do offensively, defensively, and on the mound. You look at this Auburn baseball team and, and the social staff does a great job of promoting the guys and uh, everyone has learned who Sonny Deshera is. The fact that he hits the baseball 800 miles is just truly unbelievable. But you look through the numbers, Lindsay, and this guy in the leadoff spot, Blake Rambush, leads the SEC in number of hits and is just a tough out every single time he steps into the batter's box. Where did this guy come from and how important is he to the Tigers' success? So I think he came from Grayson College. Not what you're asking, I know, but no. Oh, it's it's something where the entire offense feels like revolves around that one through three, right? So Blake Rambush has had, I want to say, almost 20 multi-hit games this season. He can play right field. He can play third base. But being able to get a guy on, a guy that's a threat to steal some bases, and have runners up and somebody at first where you can't automatically walk Sonny has been a, a big catalyst for this offense. And if you go back and you look at the games where Auburn struggles offensively, it's situations where they don't have to let Sonny hit. Either the person behind him uh, has had a bad game, can't get a hit, or there's nobody on when Sonny comes up and they can just walk him. So Blake Rambush being able to be on base gives Auburn a consistent one, a distraction to the pitcher, and a threat to score, but then also allows the guys behind him to get pitches to hit and ultimately drive him in. He's Lindsey Crosby, the host of Locked On MLB Prospects, a great podcast. I've recently added it to my uh, rotation of listening to uh, for podcasts. It's great information. Lindsey, I want to go into more of that wheelhouse right now, when, but stay on the Auburn side of things. You've seen you know, some Auburn guys come up in recent years. You've had Garrett Cooper, who's made a real splash with the Marlins. You've had Casey Mize, who's stepped up and been a big part of the Detroit uh, rebuild that's going on right now. Who's the next Auburn guy that is working their way through the minors right now that you could possibly see uh, you know, sooner rather than later in the major leagues? So the guy that I want to immediately throw out for this is our short king, Ryan Bliss. Uh, he just <laughs> got moved up to high A for the Diamondbacks this year. Uh, but he's a guy, and, and the thing that I love about Ryan Bliss as a prospect is through college and then now his second year in the professional ranks, he's been that guy that has exceeded expectations every single time. They look at him and and it's okay, well, his arm is average and his power is iffy. And then he goes out there and he plays more than the sum of his parts. And 
when I talked to him from my podcast, he actually said that a lot of that comes back to his time at Auburn and his time with Butch Thompson about understanding the game better, having a better knowledge of how to play, of strategy, and how to prepare against opponents. And so uh, despite what everybody thinks, I think that Ryan Bliss is going to be the next guy you're going to see come up from Auburn. He may not be a superstar, but he's going to be a solid major leaguer for a decade. At Crosby Baseball on Twitter, Lindsey Crosby joining us here on the show. Uh, still got more time with Lindsey here, but before we do anything else, give me a quick plug for Locked On MLB Prospects. We've talked about it a good bit. If someone's saying, what in the world is that, tell them, Lindsey. Listen, this is the number one daily podcast covering minor league baseball. It's available Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube. We do everything from mailbags. We do deep dives into farm systems or specific players. We do scouting reports. We talk about prospects who have looked good or have not looked good and break down why. We also sometimes even talk the business of the minor leagues. So paying minor leaguers more money, uh, the new housing policy implemented by MLB, things that can improve quality of life for these guys. So lots of MLB prospects wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. I mean, you're talking about learning college baseball 11 years ago, Lindsay, and here we are, we press the fast-forward button like it's the movie Click, and you're hosting a locked-on MLB Prospects podcast. How did you get to the point there? So a big part of it was my involvement with the Locked On Podcast Network. It was something where, as you mentioned, I've been going on the Monday show with – with Zach Blackerby from Locked On Auburn for about a year and a half, two years now, and it actually got the attention of the folks at Locked On. I was coming on mostly to talk baseball while I was on there, and they said, hey, seems like he knows his stuff for baseball. Would he be interested in this show? Uh, they, had, they started it beginning of the last season. Uh, the, host, the previous host left, and so I made a tape, sent it in, and here we are. They've been very happy with what we're doing. I've really enjoyed getting to shine a light on some of these lesser heralded players. We all know the Bobby Witts, the Julio Rodriguez, the Matt Brash. But I love talking about some of these young guys, like Jake Sudreth, the minor leaguer for the White Sox, who, is, who was throwing in parking garages and got Pitching Ninja to help him get signed by an organization. <laughs> like, telling these stories is fun for me. That's an awesome story. I got to go back to listen to that podcast again. Lindsey Crosby joining us here, and he's on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Brooks asks you, who's the next Auburn guy that we could see at MLB ranks? And part of me, because Lindsey again, the the Twitter profile, a self proclaimed big baseball guy. I'm thinking he's going to let us know about Joshua Palacios getting some more run with <laughs> Toronto or, or a name like that, Lindsey. Yeah, no, it's it's something where. I just I have a soft spot for Ryan Bliss. He was the first current Auburn player I ever got to interview. There's tons of prospects in the system. I think I, I have a piece coming out at Auburn Daily in the next week or two that goes through about 25 guys in the system. Uh, you know, in, in, at different levels, everybody from a obviously you know we, we we think about Ryan Bliss. There's some pitchers in there that we've been discussing. Um, Edward Julien is a guy who's really big in the twin system as far as as far as getting on base, not striking out, having elite control. So lots of guys in the prospect rankings, and, and that's just something a credit to Butch Thompson and this player development staff for how many guys they sent to the bigs. But yeah, we'll check it out. Auburn Daily coming here in a couple of days. I want to get back to Tennessee though. So Tennessee is the number one team 
in the country. They're they're twelve and zero to start SEC play. Nobody has ever done that in the history of Southeastern Conference baseball, and we're praising it how good the league is. And all of a sudden on Tuesday, taking on Tennessee Tech, the Volunteers decide to play with wood bats when you use aluminum bats in the college game, and they lost. They lost three to two to Tennessee Tech. Why did they do that, Lindsay? So it's not only choosing to use wood bats, but it's choosing to use wood bats in a minor league ballpark that has bigger dimensions than where you're used to playing. And I'm not, I'm not really sure what the impetus was for that decision. Like the thought process for me is there's, there's one of two things. It's either one, you suspect that Tennessee Tech is doing something illicit with their bats and you want to even the playing field, or two, you wanted to be able to show scouts, show, you know, uh, MLB organizations and people in attendance what your players would look like in the minors if they had wooden bats. Because that's always a conversation. And one of the things when you're scouting and you're previewing college players is you need to know do they use wooden bats or metal bats. And if they use metal, you have to look to see what they did for summer ball. Did they play in Northwood League, the Cape Cod League, somewhere else that requires wooden bats so you can see how they adjust? I can see this very much being something where we want to show MLB teams that we're going to be accommodating, we're going to be helpful, we want you to draft our guys, we're going to give you an in-season look at what we look like with wood bats. It just didn't work out at all for Tennessee. All right, so here we are one week into the Major League Baseball season. Thinking back a week ago, the Braves are debuting. They're unveiling the the championship pennant from the World Series run a year ago. Uh, One week into the Braves season, Lindsey, give me a takeaway. The pitchers obviously have not had enough time to, to stretch out, to get comfortable with their deliveries because of the shortened spring training. You've seen, uh, like just all across baseball, a lack of quality starts, but especially with the Braves, you've seen guys have uncharacteristic struggles. You've seen Max Freed not look like Max Freed. You've seen Ian Anderson get knocked out of the game early. And so it's something where the offense is going to have to carry the team. And unfortunately, you have to do that right now without Ronald Acuna Jr. He's not going to be back, back until May from the torn ACL in his right leg last year. So something where Marcelo Zuna came back, he lost some weight over the offseason, and he's hitting the ball relatively great right now, had two home runs just the other day. But uh, the offense has to carry this team, and the bullpen has to step up until the starters can get back into midseason form. All right, Lindsey Crosby's joining us here on the program. He's been great. He's definitely going to be back on the show one of these days. We'll get him in the studio here with us, too, to just make the conversation a little bit more lively. Follow him on Twitter, at Crosby Baseball. I got one for you, Lindsey, and I'm going to go ahead and call my shot that this question is going to absolutely flop, but I'm going to shoot for it anyway. Throughout your academic career, Lindsey, have you ever heard of something called a Dibbles test? I have never heard of the Dibbles test. Oh Barry, please explain. It was called something else when I took it. Yes, please listen, explain what the listen, Dibbles did, test is. Out the, of Winfield, Alabama, Blair Blanchard, please. It is an acronym. It stands for Dynamic Indicators of Basic Early Literacy Skills. It is a series of short tests that access K through K through eight literacy. So basically, explain to Lindsay how we got to this this conversation, Barry. <sighs> so it started out. Actually, I don't even remember how we got to it, but I remember it was. Um, 
Were we talking about where we were from? And, and you were just talking about reading tests that we were going through. And oh yeah, so we were talking about accelerated reader, and we were like, oh well. Oh, it started because you said, Barry, you did really well with our birthdays, and I was just like, yeah, I enjoy reading. I'm really good. I'm excellent dibbles taker. And I'm thinking that everybody in Alabama just took the dibbles test. It was just a very normal thing. No, apparently it's something very particular to this segment of Alabama. And now you have challenged me to a dibbles or so basically we have one minute and we're going to see who can read the most words in one minute and we're gonna um i'm gonna win and you're gonna hear about it later and then everybody's gonna know about it i'm putting dibbles on the map they're gonna have to come hire me and say hey thank you for getting our program out there i am willing to bet that most people listening have taken the dibbles test but because it was k through eight they had no idea what it was called (laughs) (laughs) that's actually now that you say that maybe i have maybe i'm just yeah maybe i was just trying to avoid that fact oh Lindsay, we appreciate it we'll do this again sometime soon okay absolutely thanks for having me